I'm Tom Ferguson, CEO and Cultural Ambassador of Rise Southern Biscuits and Righteous Chicken. And I'm a burger who is focused on connecting people through birds. And I'm Hardy Merritt with Chapel Hill Quest Martial Arts and the Ninja Everyday. I'm a lifelong martial artist and outdoorsman. And welcome to Tools for Tools with Ninja and the Birdman. So Hardy, what you been up to since our intro episode? I've done a few things. I, I just got back uh, two nights ago from Dayton, Ohio. My uh, martial arts instructor, Stephen Hayes, had an annual black belt retreat. So we went up there for the weekend and trained. There was some promotions. There was uh, an opportunity to train with people that I don't get to train with very much. And that was a good time. I just I wish he would move his headquarters from Dayton, Ohio. It's it's fun to go up and train, but there's nothing else to do when we go there. Um Otherwise, I've been doing a lot of kayaking. I uh, I bought a kayak for my whole family, and then I actually wound up buying a separate one-person kayak so I can go out and go fishing by myself, too. So I've been on the water. Um, I had to get off of the water, though, because it got so yellow and gross. We've got, we're in the middle of what I call the pollening, where the trees just release this insane cloud of choking dust that it's yeah. also when the burden gets good it was is it is it time you time it specifically yeah pretty much yeah well, i don't know how the birds can breathe because i've i've had allergies in fact this year is the first time i've ever taken any allergy medication because of it but it's choking me to death yeah the pollen here in durham north carolina is insane man i was driving out burning the other day and it was like it was a tornado of pollen coming up when i was going over the hill into carver was crazy man yeah it was we had a little storm a little thunderstorm last night so the thunderstorm clouds coupled with that green yellow pollen cloud it, it looked kind of foreboding kind of scary i actually saw some lightning through it and it was, it's just super weird when it's purple and green and it swirls and i, I like it when it rains this time though when it rains it's like <sighs> yeah i can breathe again it, it knocks it down but it's, as soon as it knocks it down like it as soon as it stops raining it's right back in there so i every year i think i say this is the worst i've ever felt it or this is awful and i'm not going to deal with it anymore but every year i'm still here when it happens <laughs> So, Tom, you just got back from a trip, man. Where'd you go? It was uh, down into Florida. So, what I do a lot at Rise is I travel around to the different stores trying to enhance our culture and really get to know the people working the stores. And I was out through some stores recently, and I went to Savannah. My next move was Baltimore, but I had a couple of days. So, I took a trip into Florida. And I went to Merritt Island, then Pelican Island, and then I went to Miami and the Everglades. And so, for Miami and the Everglades, I got a guy, a guy named Paul. So I was meeting Paul at 7 o'clock in the morning. It was a Sunday, so there wasn't much traffic in Miami. I went to pick him up at 7 o'clock, and he popped in the car, and he goes, all right, go straight ahead, make a left, make a right. I mean, we didn't even really say hi very much. No formality, no nothing. <laughs> nothing. Go to the end of the street, make a U-turn. I felt like it was a drug deal. <laughs> make a U-turn, come back. Now pull on the grass. I said pull on the grass. And he goes, you see that bird? You see that bird over there by here? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. You see that bird? And I, don't, I don't see it. He's like, come on, are you blind? Are you blind? Can you not see it? And I'm like, Okay, at this point, I kind of realized I was going to need to be in total sponge mode and like absorbing anything that he showed me. Yeah, tell, tell me more about him, though. I, I can't picture him. He's a 66-year-old guy. He was mayor of the town that I was in, which was Garden City, right okay. outside of Miami, right by the airport. He was a plumber. He was um, he was a union plumber, he said, and he was a character. Yeah. He was, a, he'd been burning since he was like 10. Yeah. You know, so and he lived in that area his whole life. So he knew it inside and out. He knew everybody who was there. And we pulled over and we said, you got to get on the yard. The cops will come by. And I know most of the cops, but I don't know all of them. Okay. <laughs> like, the cops are going to get me for not pulling on the grass. It sounded more and more like a drug deal. Yeah, more and more. It sounded sketchy. And, but I realized I needed to 
be a sponge and to be very coachable. And it reminded me, he was like, I am in the kitchen sometimes when someone new comes in. Come on, what are you doing? Get the knife. Let's get over here. Save your kitchen work. Let's go. D- but did he, did he get you like that because he produced a bird that fast? No, because I, I didn't know what I was, he was going to show me at that point, but I knew that he had the opportunity to show me a lot because I knew he was fairly, fairly well regarded there. And so we get out of the car and the buddy comes out of the house, kid Jimmy or kid, he's my age. And we start running up and down the streets looking for these birds. Like there it is. And we're kind of running down and I got my gear my camera and I'm like he's got his binoculars and we're going over one and okay we get it and then there's another one and there's another one and these are all birds I haven't seen at this point I think my bird count was a hundred and something so what's your current bird count my current bird count is 174 okay and what's going through my mind when I'm right there is I want some birds like I've got the fever pretty bad as you know and maybe because we have a show called Ninja and the Birdman that the fever is pretty big fairly obvious and I'm realizing like how far behind I am in the learning curve from these guys you know, 50 plus years, one guy, you know, the other guy's 30 something years. And I'm running down the street with my camera bopping around it. And I've really talked about it, but I've broken two camera lenses already. Just dropping them, dropping them, packing them wrong. Yeah. I, I've uh, miss put a bird on eBird that wasn't that bird and got called out by the eBird police. How did that happen? Well, I put, I, I was in the, I was out there birding and I just hit the wrong birds. The next morning I get an email from a guy, Hey, I'm Ken Tom. And, uh, I'm one of the volunteers for eBird. And I noticed that you saw a block, a block and block, a block bird at Sandy Creek. And I bird there all the time and I've never seen that bird. Could you tell me exactly where you saw that bird? I'm like, <laughs> they busted me. They think I'm bullshit. No, I'm not bullshit. I'm working my ass off to get these birds. And what, what it showed me is something that's really translated to work and it's empathy because I'm working really hard to be a good birder sure but I'm fucking up and I have these kids that come work for me at Rise and I'm like what the fuck you numb nuts what do you do that for and I'm not thinking that I have 30 years experience so now that I'm on the other side of the coin I'm like oh guys I'm you know I almost want to hold their hand and walk them to a new job say it's okay if you don't use a slicer right you're new you know (laughs) because I feel that way yeah so Bernie, what how's that translate to you and martial arts? I mean, there's some similarities that I see going on between the two things for sure. Sure, and, and in terms of somebody that's uh, uh, that sort of teacher, that sort of instructor, I had I had an instructor that I really looked up to, who had this great practice. If he would go up and try to assist somebody who was having a hard time with a technique or doing it wrong, he would go up and offer his suggestion. But as soon as he got a rebuttal or an explanation or something like that from the person he was helping, he'd just turn around and walk off. He wouldn't even acknowledge that they were talking. If you stayed there and you shut your mouth and you did what you were supposed to do, he would stay right there beside you and make sure you're doing it right. But that just immediate, like, all right, you don't want to hear what I got to say. I'm out. Yeah, I used to have this attitude, like, I'm not going to learn your name for three months, man. Come on. I like trains pulling people to a three-month point. But past that, when they really became a sponge and I knew they were trying to learn, I'd give them everything I have. And that's the mode I went into with them down in Florida. Yeah. You know, one time I get in the car and he's like, man, I thought you were going to pet that bird there for a minute, man. You were out there getting so close. I'm like, come on, man. And then we're driving. He's like, come on, go get around this car. He was like, we were on this little two lane highway and it was a nursery area. And there were all these trucks carrying plants. He's like, all right, go for it. There's three, there's six nursing trucks in front of me. And I'm like, I'm not going to do it. I'm like, I'm not in my old Audi. I'm in this rental car. He's like, oh, if you don't see any birds. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, man, no. So it was kind of like that all day. And at the end of it, though, when we started finding it, he'd go to a place. It's kind of weird. Like some birds are just in a very specific place. They're there and he knows they're there and he takes me there. 
One is at an airport, some municipal airport. And I don't know what we're going for yet, but we pull up and he's like, all right, it's over there by that number that's on the runway. And we get out and we start walking over to the runway. And then he sits behind that cone and then up pops this little burrow owl out from the side. I'm wow. Like, he's like, I'm sorry, it took so long to find this one. <laughs> like, okay, cool. Picture, boom, we're in the car. We're going to another one. But he like knew where that owl's burrow was. Yeah, he knew where it was. It was one of his stops. It's been there for a couple of years. It's just, that's there. And there's a lot of birds like that. So the topic of today's episode of Tools for Tools is mindful marksmanship. Marksmanship, shooting a bow and arrow, shooting a a firearm is a great way to do a meditation in motion. It's a a meditation opportunity that also has a really clear indication of whether you did it right or not. When I was late 20s, I tore my ACL and I went from being one of what I considered to be one of the higher on the food chain martial arts guys in my area to being afraid of like a five-year-old bumping into me. After I'd had the repair, the graft had to take and The surgeon told me that it would have the consistency of a wet paper towel. So I didn't want anybody to bump me. I didn't want to step funny. So I went, again, from feeling really tough to feeling like I couldn't do anything. So I started taking up shooting. It was one of the few things that I could do that made me feel like I was still training and still progressing in in kind of the warrior ways. And it started out just as kind of a fun thing to do, something to work on. I'd had a pistol for a while and a rifle, but I didn't do much with them. But once I got out and... You kind of got bit by the bug. I wanted to get better and better. Just like you, you were showing me some of your photographs, how they went from, I could tell the the beginning of your birding journey photographs versus ones that I'm seeing now. There's probably a ton of similarities between taking a picture and shooting a gun anyway. Yeah, the evolution is quite profound how it goes from one place to the next. I mean, it was similar to me when I was in the range battalion as a marksman. We were pretty much all expert marksmanship marksman in the range battalion yep. but there was this echelon of guys who had grown up with guns in their hands and there where they were was so far above where i would ever be you know it's kind of like it's a lot similar to birding there's birders have been birding their whole life that are way above where i'm going to be but when you learn the learning curve pretty the graph goes up a lot yeah and you know with marksmanship you've got to you got to strip away a bunch of your unnecessary movements you've got to refine your movement so that you know where your gun is at each point of your draw stroke you uh, you have to maintain a really broad level of awareness so you can pick up your three focal points. You've got your rear sight and your front sight and your target, and you've got to focus on that front sight and block out everything else. You've got to pay attention to your breathing and let that trigger break right at the point between your exhalation and your inhalation. You've got to emotionally control yourself so that you don't check above your sights to see if you hit the target each time you've got to follow through on each shot you've got to you know you got to have that grip sight trigger and and follow through discipline each time you shoot and i'm sure again it's the same with the camera yeah i can imagine what it'd been like to be in the army now with the meditation state that i can get in especially what you're talking about right now i can remember them telling us to like not look at a target as we're coming around like there's a little bit that ninja thing there yep the guys that you know in the military, how do they implement the two together? Well, you know, there's there's regular military and then there's special operations. And some of the people that I've had the good fortune of knowing that are in special operations were some of the biggest proponents of meditation, even more so than some of the lifelong martial artists that I know and train with. You know, if the if the military sees that it's producing results in their snipers, you know, it lets them hit that target, stay calm, not get distracted, be able to do all that instant windage and elevation adjustment, you know. I just had a I just had a friend send me an article, I think it's from the New York Times, about the Army implementing mindfulness. So even now they're realizing, you know, through special force, hey, this is something you might want to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, a lot of times it starts in the special operations and then it moves down into the regular army. You know, again, for me, I started shooting just for fun, but it transitioned into like opening up some some different opportunities for me uh, in terms of doing some security work and some other things like that. Then I got into um, archery because my wife didn't want to want to shoot uh, firearms with me, but she was into archery. I think it was because of the uh, or the movies with with Katniss. Uh, uh, the Hunger Games, Hunger Games, right? Yeah, she wanted to be Katniss, I think. And uh, good for you. Yeah, I was like, all right, that works. So, but we started shooting bows and arrows, and that's um. There's an, an a Japanese meditative uh, archery practice called kudo, and um, it developed from kind of a pragmatic military archery called kujitsu. And it's not specifically a Zen practice, but it's such a mindful practice that a lot of Zen monks and Zen practitioners do it to put there and to test their ability to stay focused just on that, that single point, like the center of that target. You know, when we were down in Miami and I was with Paul, I kept having this visualization because he would spot the birds and then I would shoot the birds and the shooting of the camera was very similar to shooting of a weapon. It's like, all right, steady focus, hold my breath. Don't shake. Boom. Shoot. So I always consider myself sniper team Miami when it came. Back. That's awesome. Now, is that, is that like a mantra that you say when you, when you pick up the camera? I'm starting to more, you know, I'm taking this lessons by this guy, uh, Franz Lanting. Uh, it's like a course online. He was a famous bird photographer and he talks a lot about it, but he uses a tripod with the heavier lenses, which I was trying to hold the heavier lens. Yeah. Yeah. And it was brutal. Like there's a lot of shake, although I have a lot of stabilizers in my camera. You still don't get the Christmas. Sure. So my lighter camera, that's a mirrorless camera, actually can hold and not shake as much and get a little clearer picture. Maybe I don't get the pixels, but I get a really nice picture. Nice. So here at Tools for Tools, we really want to talk about some of the gear we come across and kind of tell you the ups and downs of what we've seen and some of the things that are great about them. With cameras, I started out with a Fuji X-T1 and I also had a 400 lens and I had a 150 lens. And I broke them both, not really out of taking pictures of birds, but just from ignorance of knowing how to properly handle them. And since then, I've had them both fixed, but I knew I needed something a little bit more durable. So I got the Nikon D850, which is like the top dog in the field and very durable and very heavy. And I also got the Sigma uh, 600 lens, which is a beast. It's so heavy. It's really hard to like take shots with birds in motion with it. So I'm starting to work with that big monster lens on a tripod and I'm starting to work, still carry the Fuji. So here I am three months in, I'm carrying two cameras with me. Nice. And the other one for shots, because it's a lot easier to get shots of birds in flight, but it, I really love them both for different reasons. I get these really crisp pictures with the uh, Nikon. I get these really soft pictures with the Fuji. What do you shoot with? Are you talking about shooting? Well, well, first I want to say you carrying two cameras is appropriate. My uh, main shooting instructor would say one is none, two is one, and three is better. (laughs) Nice, nice. Yeah. My favorite thing to shoot with is a Ruger Scout rifle in the 308. there was an instructor that taught my instructor, this uh, guy, Jeff Cooper, taught a guy named Louis Arbuck, who passed away a few years ago. But Jeff Cooper developed this rifle that he wanted to be the ultimate utilitarian rifle. It had to be uh, a round big enough to take any game in North America. He wanted a long eye relief scope. So this is a, a scope that mounts way out at the front of the rifle. So when you bring it up, you can keep both eyes open. And uh, with a lot of scopes, you know, people kind of put one eye to it or they they squint that eye and you lose your peripheral vision. But with a long eye relief scope, it does kind of the same thing as some of those modern red dot reticles that pop up. Uh, It had to be bolt action so that it wouldn't malfunction and it had to have a box magazine. So 
it's um it's my favorite i think i've probably taken three or four deer with it already but um i can lay down and it's it's not a precision rifle but it's about as precise as i get i'm i'm i was not on sniper team miami <laughs> you know what i what i have to carry in the field is binoculars and i also carry a scope sometimes but i'm finding myself using especially when i'm a sniper team and i got a spotter yep the camera becomes my scope so i'm using it through the lens i'm just like guiding it as i'm looking for pictures running around with this camera attached to my eyeball but it's efficient sniper team miami was very efficient we had many kills that is important in terms of marksmanship is that pressure right like i you absolutely don't want the animal to suffer so a lot counts on you making that shot uh, same thing with these uh kudo archers they they strive for this state that they would call munin muso which means no thoughts or no illusions another way to say it is mushin or no mind but they would strive to be in that absolutely focused, completely distracted, no thoughts, no illusions, and they could execute that shot. Uh, same thing when you're hunting so that you don't cause any undue suffering and worse than that, you don't miss completely and your friends laugh at you. You know, that's that's a, a really good point that I think I can take into the, taking shots of birds too because your adrenaline must be going up quite a bit when you're getting ready to Absolutely, you know, and we, your heart's coming out of your chest. And we, we were going after this one bird that was a rare bird and it was – Real people were coming from all around the country to see this thick billed vario. What does that look like? It's just a little bird. <laughs> it's just a, a little has, bit yellow. Has a, um, thick bill. has a thick black bill on it. Nothing really special that much about it, except that nobody sees it. Okay. And so it was in this one particular place, and we're going. So we're it's in, like a rare Pokemon. It's a rarity. It's a rarity, man. And so we're we're going to it, and I'm, my adrenaline was going up higher to get it, and I'm like, I don't want to go there and not get that one. I want a rarity when I'm going, and just that adrenaline from when I'm getting. But I have this perfect shot of it. I mean, it's like Natural Geographic style. It's like great. The, the light is coming through the bushes, and it's sitting there, and it's all like posing for me basically that's awesome but i can use and now having this conversation about marksmanship with it i can use that and taking pictures of birds for sure absolutely i'm a bird watcher i'm a bird watcher watching birds go by fly 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 i'm a bird watcher i'm a bird watcher there goes one now Today's bird of the day is a roseate spoonbill, also nicknamed the flame bird. You know, what's really interesting about this bird is that I went to Florida, I went to Merritt Island, and I went by myself and I'm driving down the roads of the National Wildlife Reserve. And I see everybody out looking at this bird and it's pink and I think it's a flamingo. That's the only bird I know that's pink. And I get out and I look at this thing and it's like it's from Mars, man. It's like it's got a bald head, this long beak that's spoon shaped in the front, these pink and white feathers. And it's just crazy looking. And I just take like a billion pictures because I think I'm never going to see it again in my life. And I'm convinced that I'm one of a hundred people who's ever seen this in the world. But no, it's pretty, it's a pretty obvious bird now that I know about it. And what happened to this bird in the 1800s, it almost became extinct because it was killed for fashion. They were pulling the feathers off and people were using them for fans in the Victoria. I'm like, oh my God, how do you how do you even kill that bird? You had to feel super guilty. Today you definitely would, but it looks like it's from another world. It's beautiful. If you ever get a chance to see the Rosie at Spoonville, take your chance and go see it. If you're feeling down and out, here's a 
today's inspiration is actually two quotes. And the first one is from Miyamoto Musashi, same samurai that we quoted in episode zero. This quote is my favorite. I, I almost want to tattoo it somewhere, but it's very simple. It's, do nothing which is of no use. To me, that means to strip away the unnecessary, to get rid of the extraneous, to be focused and to maximize our time. We don't know how much time we have. We don't know how much time we'll have to do something. So if we clean it up and do what is important and we don't distract ourselves, then we're aware we're in the moment we're we're being Zen. And the second quote is not from an ancient Japanese samurai, but an ancient American Wild West samurai. This is from Wyatt Earp. Fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. Pretty cool how there's a lot of similarities between the marksmanship and the taking pictures photography. I mean, that was we started out kind of saying that was going to be the theme of the day, but they really came together. Well, they're, they're both pulling the trigger. They're both hitting a target. And again, how important accuracy is with both of them. I don't want to miss the target. You don't want to miss the shot. Are you going on any trips coming up? I am. And you know, that's kind of funny that we're saying this too, because I've started out in this bird thing. Like I want to count birds, see as many birds as I can. But what it's kind of turned into is really photography. And I'm getting ready to go to two great places. So I leave tomorrow to go to High Island outside of Houston. It's where a big migration stops. When they cross the Gulf of Mexico, they stop right there. And it's like thousands of birds in the trees. It's like really killer what makes them pick that island they used to get oil out of this area and they brought a lot of minerals to the surface and that made a lot of stuff grow so it's like this oasis really as they go over so they all kind of zoom in and go there just because it looks different from the area. Yeah, it looks different from the area from my understanding and the audubon society of houston is they run it down there so they even have bleachers and everything set up that's crazy and they have a blind a photo blind and i got the last spot for the time i want to be there just two days ago i was so lucky someone spent a whole day in a photo blind but i'm there for four days and then i go to southeastern arizona and that I'm going to do just by myself. But I'm going just into the mountains and all around the surrounding area. I haven't even really mapped it out yet, but I have a guide for southeastern Arizona and everything I've heard about that guide. I talked to the guy who wrote it actually like 20 years ago, and I'm just going to follow the trail. There's a lot of hummingbirds there and stuff. If, if I get a chance to take, if I'm in a place that has a lot of birds, I think I'm just going to sit there for a while and take a lot of pictures. Um, if not, I'll move on. Are you looking for any bird in particular on either of those trips? No, I'm, I'm not. I mean, there's... There's a possibility of getting a couple hundred more birds on my list, but I don't know that that's. I'm changing where my mindset is right now. I'm really it's about photography right now. This at this particular moment. Now, where do you stand in the the big year counts? According to eBird, I'm number 76 in North Carolina. So that's people who've seen birds in North Carolina. The only ones that you saw in North Carolina count. And then for the United States, I'm 2009. Out of how many? If they don't tell you how many, you're totally in it. But there's hundreds of thousands of accounts. So, you, so you're you're up there. You're in the top percentile. I'm respectable. You're respectable. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm respectable for someone who's been doing this for three months. That's why I got a podcast. I'm so respectable. <laughs> that, that's what I'm talking about, man. One thing you can never do enough out when you're in the field birding is drink water and be hydrated.